Coming up on today's show, we talked to Alex Schiffer from The Athletic about CJ McCollum and his future career plans. Today's episode of From the Rose Garden is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. I'm Damian Lillard, and you're listening to From the Rose Garden on the Athletic Podcast Network. Rep City! Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of From the Rose Garden. I'm your host, Dave Dufour. This week, we got a special guest on the show, Alex Schiffer, the Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for us over at The Athletic. Alex, how is, uh, I, I, I don't know, I feel like we ask everyone, how's quarantine life? Which just sounds so depressing. How are things? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I'm trying to use, not use the word depressing. It's definitely been tough. You know, there's four fully grown adults in my house uh, with my parents, my sister and I. Yeah. And, um, you know, we have a decently sized house, but, you know, we're still all on top of each other. And it's just tough to have privacy. And even, you know, I, I made sure to kind of come into my room to, to talk to you guys. Um, yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely wearing on me, I guess, is the way I'd put it. Yeah. Um, have you picked up any new hobbies? Are you baking bread? woodworking any of that kind of stuff not really um i'm kind of running out of shows to watch so i'm now going to rewatch the sopranos because they just launched a podcast with um i don't know if you saw that or if you're a fan of the show but um the actors that play um christopher multisanti and um bobby baklava mm-hmm. launched a podcast explaining each episode so i'm going to get on that i'm going to rewatch the wire just because of that jamel hill podcast so um, I'm reading books. There you I go. I always like to read books. Um, but no, not really, not really any new hobbies at all. Well, if I can recommend a book, I highly recommend Trout Fishing in America by Richard Brodigan. I, I, okay. I keep it here so that anytime books come up, I can recommend it. It's a good, um, book about America. It's uh, okay. an interesting book for you. Okay. Well, let's get down to business. The reason we're here, uh, you got a piece coming out. And you kind of dug into C.J. McCollum's journalistic background at Lehigh. How, how did you come up with the idea to do this first? Yeah, so I'm originally from New Jersey, which is where I'm coming at you from now. And um, I want to say, if my math is right, I live exactly 60 miles from Lehigh University, where C.J. McCollum attended. And I had a ton of friends go there. And, uh, you know, nothing against the Nets, but, uh, you know, we... we do a thing here at the Athletic Hold Oral Histories, and a lot of them. And uh, this is just my two cents, but it seems like over the years, the guys that came from smaller schools or like less non-NBA powerhouses maybe have done better than others just in terms of audience and, and reach. You know, obviously there's Jason Jenks, Kawhi Leonard story, San Diego State, very solid college basketball program, but not, you know, uh, not like a Kentucky and NBA picks. You know, we haven't done like an oral history of, Jabari Parker at Duke or anything like that. So I thought that the non-conventional schools are kind of where it worked best. 
And uh, Jason and I met when uh, Jason Quick uh, met. We met when the Nets played in Portland in November, which feels like a decade ago. And uh, we hit it off and we were talking. And uh, I said to him, kind of around January, maybe before this all started, just, you know, hey, I don't know if you've thought about this, but I, I think it'd be pretty easy for me to get over there one day and kind of get a bunch of people on his career at Lehigh and, uh, and, and be an easy thing to take off your plate. And he was all for it, start reporting it. And then, you know, going into his journalism career, I, you know, he, as, as we've kind of touched on, he has the podcast, you know, he's been in some analyst roles over the years. And, uh, you know, talking to Jason Jenks, who's like the oral history, oral history whisperer at The Athletic, he thought that it was fascinating that, you know, we all kind of got our start, you know, running around campus chasing down athletes for different types of stories. And here's C.J. McCollum is probably the only guy in the NBA to do so. So why not hone in on that part about his career? Yeah. And, and I saw it like he um, was interviewing coaches. He was like covering tennis. Yeah. I, I, how much of that, like how much of his insight as an athlete went into his work? Actually, were you even able to see some of his work from, from back then? Yeah. So I spent a few weekends kind of um, browsing through the Lee high school paper archives. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, Dave, I, I thought I was going to be really smart with this. I, uh, you know, like I searched by CJ McCollum thinking <laughs> that I was going to have like, you know, only his byline come up, but you think about, and, you know, you're, you're an audio guy, you think of in terms of like a broadcast or, uh, or even a, uh, in writing, you know, Lehigh was down 10 early, but a rally started by CJ McCollum. So like the first, you know, I first searched CJ McCollum and I think the hits came to like a hundred or a thousand, excuse me, you know, go to buy CJ McCollum thinking I'm all smart and it didn't really drop that much. So I, I, I was able to read through a lot of his stuff, which was actually allowed me to track down people he interviewed for the for his stories that allowed me to get them for my story. So, uh, do you want to critique his interview style from college? How did do you think he got a lot of information out of people? Yeah, you know it's interesting. He um, it seems like and, and this is you know thirty thousand foot view, um, not you know watching him do it in person, but uh, but you could tell you know even some of the coach I talked to said that you know it seems like he knew that he was in a rare situation as a student athlete interviewing other student athletes so he could kind of ask questions that other people wouldn't be able to think of or or you know relate to because of of you know the the we've all talked about the division one grind and and what that looks like to be a student athlete you know he kind of tapped into that it seems like and you know he would even talk about like the the journey or how the team has grown even in a tough stretch you know coaches said how you know the field hockey coach the former lehigh field hockey coach said how you know he picked out that they had lost four games in a season in a certain span by one point or one goal. And, um, and she had said, you know, not a lot of people would think about that, but you know, the, the frustration of being that close to flipping that game uh, is something he would touch on. So I definitely think that his, his experiences in basketball kind of were sprinkled throughout his writing and his tactics as a reporter. Do you have any critiques of, of his work? You know, it's, it's tough for me to say because um you know, whatever my critiques of his work would be, you know, I'm sure his critiques of my basketball game, you know, would, uh, he'd, he'd have his own opinions. I, it's, That's you fair, know, even fair I, game. You know, and, and even when I go back and, like, look at um, look at what I wrote when I was in college, like, it just it skeeves me out. Like, I'm sure that he would love a do-over on some of the stuff, but I thought he was solid. And you look at some of the other uh, stories, you know, in the section that other people wrote, you know, I, I definitely think he stood out um, one way or another. 
And uh, I don't, you know, I don't think it was bad by any means. I, I think it was definitely solid and consistent. Um, you know, I never saw a typo or, you know, a name misspelled or anything, you know, so, and, and I can't say the same for me at times when I was, you know, a freshman, sophomore at my uh, college paper. So, no, I thought, I thought he was, consi- I thought he was good. And, um, you know, I definitely think that you could tell from some of his quotes that he was asking different questions than other people. Yeah. So, I mean, does this give you any, any insight on CJ, like as a basketball player? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me how uh, a couple things with that, you know, a lot of guys said how he just never really wasted time that, you know, Friday night comes around, you know, a bunch of guys are going out to the bar and you got CJ like walking around campus from the library to the gym to kind of get the extra work. You know, I think, I think it was one of his roommates that said to me, he's like, the guy just doesn't waste any time. And, you know, people talked about the, the student athlete schedule we touched on and how he was able to still do that at a, you know, Lee has a more academic based school, but then also find the time to get in, you know, his couple thousand shots or whatever it was every night and, and put the work in. It's a shame, you know, I, I had so much from his four years at Lehigh. There's a couple that, like, I, uh, I, I was trying to get in, but it just didn't make sense of how in the house CJ lived in with his teammates, how if they had, like, a disagreement, CJ would say, like, well, let's go to the court and play horse, and whoever loses has to do the dishes. So, you know, he, he had a sense of humor with all this, too, and, um, you know, his roommates were very understanding of his schedule with the journalism side, and, and you know, he would miss a Saturday at a time covering tennis, as we touched on, and... Uh, and, you know, the, the best anecdote I got from him as a basketball player that it just didn't really work for the story. But, you know, the, the area that Lehigh is in, there's a lot of smaller schools. So Division three, Division two, And um, in the summer, there'd be some big-time pickup games between the Lehigh guys and all the D2, D3 guys mixed in. And uh, one day, C.J. McCollum showed up and uh, late. And so it was C.J. McCollum and a bunch of D3 guys against, like, the rest of the Lehigh team. And uh, C.J. McCollum and his D3 team won every single game that day. And uh, one of his former teammates, which I was cracking up from this, he goes, he goes yeah, that was C.J.'s Jimmy Butler moment. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, it, it, it definitely seems like, you know, how he got to where he is now. I mean, he just ma- he mastered time management, which not a lot of Division I athletes can say they did. And uh, he took both sides of it seriously. You know, he got his degree. And he's also tried to implement it throughout his career now, let alone for whenever he's done playing. Uh, how much did that big upset over Duke come up? Because, I mean, clearly, I mean, it's one of the biggest college basketball upsets ever, much less for Lehigh. So did that just continuously come up? Yeah, you know, that came up. You know, what's funny was, and I forgot about this but when I started reporting the story, but Lehigh made the NCAA tournament his freshman year against Kansas. And it was a loaded Kansas team. I mean, that was Thomas Robinson, the Morris Twins. I think that team got knocked out in the round of 32. They didn't, they were, but like they, they were the number one overall seed. And it was like seven or eight NBA players on that team. And he had 25 against them despite a bad first half. And uh, a lot of guys were saying that that kind of was the game that laid the foundation for them to do what they did against Duke. And, um, you know, they joked that Bill Self was talking to CJ for a while after the game. And they said, like, was well, he going to transfer to Kansas now? But, uh, you know, as much as the Duke game came up, you know, a lot of it was the Kansas game beforehand that, you know, well, everyone in Lehigh saw that coming because he, he put up 24-25 against a team that would go on of 7-8 NBA guys. But, uh, but yeah, the, the Duke game came up a lot just in that C.J. McCollum was never convinced that they were going to lose to Duke. Uh, that was the Austin Rivers year, mm-hmm. I want to say. And uh, they thought, that, you know, he was a more experienced guard than Austin Rivers. And uh, C.J. McCollum essentially said that, you know, when, when Austin Rivers and uh, 
some of their guards. You know, Ryan Kelly was also missing from that game. If those guys aren't hitting shots, it would be a lot tougher for um, for Duke to win. So talking to those guys, as you said, it's one of the biggest upsets ever. I'm a Missouri graduate. Missouri has a huge contingent of fans that love Lehigh because that was the day Missouri lost to uh, Nor- Norfolk State. And it, it's just funny. You talk to all those Lehigh guys. They were like, yeah, we were going to win. It's like you get sent for a drug test if you ask them that in a moment. You yeah. know what I mean? That's yeah. like Buster Douglas saying, yeah, I'm going to beat Mike Tyson. No big deal. Right? Just just totally expected. Well, you know, it's funny because you, you mentioned CJ being a more experienced guard back then. I mean, the NCAA tournament, that's what it's all about. Experienced yeah. guard play. Like, that's how you win, you know, national championships. Unless you've got next level, way next level talent. but Experienced guard play is how you do it. So it's interesting to me that you have two guys, two guards who did four years at small colleges in Portland. You got CJ, obviously, and you got Damian Lillard. Do you see any like parallel in the way that they came up? I mean, Dame didn't have any any big upsets, but uh, it it seems like both of these guys are kind of underrated for their college careers until their senior year. Yeah, it, I was thinking a lot about that when I was reporting this. You know, I, I think the biggest thing, I think the two things that kind of stuck out to me is that, um, you know, as, as well-known as they are as players, first off, they, they've become just as well-known for their side projects. You know, Damian Lillard is obviously a huge rapper among NBA players, and uh, that's become something he's kind of carved a niche out, just like CJ with his journalism stuff. I, I think, you know, it, it's funny because I feel like Damian Lillard was less known in college than CJ, as you kind of said, just because CJ had two NCAA tournament appearances. And, and I want to say Damian Lillard made it one year. This is where we could use Jason, but, um, you know, they, they never had the upset of the national fan. I mean, like Lehigh was a talk of the country that night. They won. And uh, I feel like CJ was just kind of more known than, than Damian nationally at the time. Because like I, when, I remember watching the draft when CJ was like, oh, that's the guy that helped beat Duke. You know, Damien didn't really have that on his resume the way that CJ did. So I think that the things that kind of said to me is just that, you know, as much as they are successful, you know, they've not only have they stuck in the league, but they're standout players despite coming from small schools. Um, they both have kind of developed these like side gigs that they've made them really notable too. Yeah. So um, let's, let's fast forward to CJ's post-playing career. All right. Mm-hmm. He's already got the podcast. He's already done some analysis. Do you see him actually getting into real sports journalism? And should you be worried about your job? Yeah, you know, he's been published in Sports Illustrated, I know. I remember reading that issue. So he's already got his uh, handful of uh, impressive bylines. Maybe we hire him at The Athletic to, to double up with Jason or something like that after, uh, after he's done playing. It's funny, you know, he, he's talked a lot about having a diverse portfolio because he did the writing, obviously, that we talked about. He does a podcast, you know, so audio he's been on tv as an analyst so he's kind of done a little bit of everything and i, I don't know if he wants to continue with that you know he kind of left the door open but i i definitely could see him as as being kind of like a dominique wilkins where you know he does you know dominique does the the hawks color commentary but i could also see cj i don't you know i, I don't know how he'd fit with the current tnt crew just with Shaq, barkley and then kenny there's already so much personality i was gonna there. say it's very loaded i mean they, they're kind of adding Dwayne Wade. But but they do need a wing player. I mean, they, they, Kenny at point guard, Shaq down low, Barkley is like a four. So I mean, they, they for in terms of, of of personnel, he does fit that. But I am curious to see where he goes into with this because he does have a lot of options, and I I, I would guess that um that he 
would probably do some kind of studio work either with ESPN or something like that. You know, I learned actually during this that, you know, he, he isn't, uh, you know, he's big in New York City because his fiance did Columbia Dental School. He's getting married in the city. So I, I could see him maybe being based out of like a major market and doing some stuff there or, or maybe he wants to stay in Portland. But I definitely think you'll see him do a little bit of everything just because, you know, he kind of reminds me of Shaq where Shaq is the podcast. He's on TNT. You know, he's this big media figure. So I, I could see him kind of going that road just because he, he's already done, you know, he already has these followings from TV and, and audio to where he can maybe make something like that happen. Yeah. You know, so do you listen to his podcast? I don't. I, I actually recently started while reporting the story. I kind of, it was one of those things where I was like, I should probably do that if I'm going to write this story. So I've listened to a couple of episodes. Yeah. What do you think about it? What's his style as an interviewer? Yeah, you know, he's very laid back. He's very casual. I think he's very open. Um, you know, he shows a lot of his – it's not always talking about basketball. He talks a lot about uh, – he's looked into some wines during uh, – he's a big wine guy. Um, I don't know. I've, I always butcher the pronunciation, but like a, a sommelier or – Sommelier, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that wasn't butchered. I, 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 someone once told me it was pronounced sommelier or something like that, and it, 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 it went bad. I got a whole lecture and everything. But – um. You know, he, so I, I think that he, he does a good mix of like, and that's why I say it reminds me of Shaq. Like, if you listen to Shaq's podcast, like, some of it's like just what's going on with the world. Some of it's basketball talk. Some of it's just college basketball talk. And, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think that you just you listen to CJ's. It's not like just only one thing. You know, he talks about what's up with his life. You know, he talks about getting a puppy. Um, he he kind of gives a peek back to the curtain. So he, he's very good with transparency, which I think is what we're all looking for, right? Uh, yeah, sure. What kind of dog did he get? I, I mean, I, again, I don't follow guys off the court hardly at all, and yeah, I barely I listen to podcasts. You know, I, I broke a – they told me in Missouri, always get the name of the dog. Yeah. I didn't even get the type of the dog, so I guess my former teacher would fail me for that. Oh, my God, man. That's the most important piece of information that you brought to this podcast. I know. You I failed I, me. Uh, I whiffed. Yeah, I whiffed. I whiffed, mate. So in, in general, uh, we are now in a, in a place in the NBA – where so many players are leaning into, you know, being influencers. Uh, there's the whole like almost like a, a subculture within the NBA of NBA media, if that makes sense. I mean, you, Danny Green, you've got uh, a bunch of retired guys have podcasts, you know, like the Up and Smoke podcast, which I've heard of uh, or I've heard parts of that are great. Uh, I mean, Kyle Kuzma has a podcast. Everyone's got a podcast. Uh, Instagram, Instagram Live. So. I guess what's next for these guys? Because, you know, everyone already has a podcast. So what are they going to do next? Are guys going to start their own Quibi shows? Uh, are we going to get a player with a YouTube channel? Where do you see this going? I mean, you've probably done the most reporting on one guy as a journalist so far. So I want to know, where, what are you predicting? You know, it's an interesting thing to ask just because, I mean, I already think you can make the argument that some guys have already taken the next step. I mean, you look at, uh, Kevin Durant's got his own media company, essentially. You know, obviously, I cover him with the Nets. And, I mean, he started, you know, he has the boardroom, but now he started to recently add stories to the boardroom, like print stories on his website. And he has his own YouTube channel. LeBron has his own media company. So I think you're already starting to see the domino effect of that. I think that the next question with some of those bigger names, too, is when they're done playing, how, you know, does that continue to be a side project? Does that become the main thing on their plate? I, and also, you know, it, especially in current times, I mean, it's been possible to predict the way the industry goes or the market, but what does that look like? And is it something that they still want to be a part of, or has it kind of gotten to a place where 
they're like, all right, I'm good. We had our fun. We got our investment back or, or you know, got what we wanted out of this. It's time for something else. So it's a tough question to ponder just because Shaq's probably the biggest example. He's had a couple different TV shows. Now he has one on TNT. He also did that Shaq burst where he challenged everyone and their mother to whatever sport they – Was that the one he stole uh, from Steve Nash? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Nash got a Nash got a producer credit on the show because it was his idea. Yeah. Yeah, that's Which, right. Which, by the that's way, right. steal ideas. It's great. It's a great way to make money. You know. Copying is a form of flattery. That's right. That, uh, as journalists, I don't know if we should be advertising that. But, you know, <laughs> someone told me that when I was little. But yeah, I, I think that that's the, the thing going forward is just that what do these guys do with some, you know, some of the guys have kind of already taken that step further, you know, is this kind of it or do they even take another step further? And, do, you know, do we see them kind of merge with a major company or, uh, or get bought by a major company or merge together? And, you know, CGL's just became a part of that players TV thing that just launched. It's like a behind the scenes thing. I forget if it's a, a channel or its own thing. I know Garrett Temple, the Nets is also involved in it. But uh, but that's another way of kind of like another peek behind the curtain that these guys are doing on their own. Yeah. And even the Players Tribune is kind of like that, too. Yeah. Well, uh, let's take a, a peek behind the curtain with you. What, what are you working on next? I mean, I'm assuming it won't be another Portland Trailblazers adjacent story, but, you know, we're, we're still interested. Yeah. You know, um, I had come out this week, uh, Tales from Kevin Garnett's college recruitment. That was something I've been chipping away a while that, uh, that I thought came out pretty well. I, I was surprised no fans kind of took it out on Kevin Garnett for not picking one school or another. I thought it was, I was surprised how at peace everyone was with it. You know, I, I have some trying to track down some other guys for some stuff on the Nets potentially, see what they're up to during all this. You know, we talked about Damian Lillard, Torian Prince seems to have some music coming out soon. Uh, see what he's that, see what he goes with that, where he goes with that. You know, they, we've all been doing those fan surveys. Yeah, so they, I, they've uh, been I, really informative. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm kind of curious to see what happens with the the one I'm doing with the Nets on that because I mean it's a team that just got rid of their coach before the league went on hiatus. I never really answered my opinion on this. I think the Nets should kind of keep the roster as is before trading for a potential third star and see what it looks like with Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving fully healthy in the whole roster and see who mixes with them and who doesn't before making a trade. Some groups of the fan base are completely sold that they should go all in for somebody. Uh, you know, our own John Hollinger floated a trade for Rudy Gobert. If the Jazz were to part ways him, now everyone's trying to kick the door down for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that'd be interesting. But also, you know, DeAndre Jordan immediately started after Kenny Atkinson got fired. I don't know how that would work with two true centers. Well, Gobert comes off the bench. I mean, it's the only way it works, right? Yeah, exactly. But does he want that? Is my whole thing too? Yeah. You know, are they going to give up all these assets for a guy that comes off the for your second string center? Yeah, yeah that doesn't make sense to me. Make it twenty five million dollars um, a year. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, the, I'm also curious to see who Nets fans want as their next coach with that, just because there is a faction of the fan base that is convinced Sean Marks is going to be able to convince Greg Popovich to come to Brooklyn. I do not see in any way, shape, or form how that's possible. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, you're coming. At, you're, so you're coming from San Antonio. Who are these people? I, I, you know, so one guy commented after, like, I think it was Sam Amick, Joe Varden, Michael Lee, and I all did like a roundtable for like the coaching search. And one guy commented, like, um, or one person, I, I forget uh, who they were, to me, this coaching search is Popovich or bust. And I'm thinking, if it's Popovich or bust, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment, man. Like, like I, I just, I don't know why people think that that's a possibility. And, and so what's coming next? You know, I'm curious to see where this survey goes, because if it's like an overwhelming other from the, the main names that have been talked about, I just don't know what to tell people. Oh, man. This is a... This is my daily reminder that fan is short for fanatic. 
it's it's funny. I wish I brought this up earlier because I know you're coming up in San Antonio. But I just I've heard Pop likes coaching a young team. I don't know after the amount of rings he's won how much he cares. You know where he goes out. You know whether whatever record it is. Um, he's had an unbelievable run. I don't know what to tell people. I, I just, don't. It's one of, I just couldn't imagine a guy coaching somewhere for, you know, 25 years and then just saying, you know what? I want to go coach in Brooklyn for one year when I'm 72 years old. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. No. Anyway, Alex, love the piece. Uh, Everybody go and check that out over at The Athletic. Uh, Alex Schiffer, thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Dave. That's going to do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more from the Rose Garden. Things play hard. Both things play hard. God bless and good night.